Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 162, week 162, volume 162, number fucking 162. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Justin of Wrist Meat Razor, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick off with feedback, questions, what's been going on. And the big mention this week is Drew from America. Massive shout out of appreciation, love for that man. He helped us step into the realm, the new realm of social media, which is TikTok. He gave us a shout out, tagged us in it, sent it to us. You know, I'm too old to get into that app. But to see that someone's on that app, talking about the Mosh Zone, spreading the word about the Mosh Zone, Amazing. Means the fucking world. Drew also sent us a few messages. We had a chat for a bit. Discovered us because of a Ponning Burning Body episode. And he's been deep diving ever since. Thank you, Drew, for giving the show a go. And thank you for keeping me motivated. Especially lately when I've been struggling with motivation for the show. Seeing this kind of stuff and hearing this kind of stuff from you helps spur me on. So... Big thank you to Drew. Much love, much respect, much appreciated, dude. Thank you for being you, and thank you for giving the show a go. Enough of the ramblings, enough of the jibber-jabber. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, i got to sit down with Justin of Wrist Meat Razor. First thing i got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Wrist Meat Razor? Well, they are a band that formed around 2017, two EPs and one album so far to their name. They are about to release their second album, comes out June 11th, it's titled Replica of a Strange Love. Justin plays bass and is the vocalist of the band. Style-wise, the band is kind of, you know, a throwback style metalcore to the early 2000s. It's got a bit of everything, it's got some great moments, some surprise moments, but they're also one of the most exciting bands going around at the moment. Big things are coming for this band. They're one of those bands that I love discovering and then helping spread the word about because this band are going to blow up before you know it within the next year, maybe two years max. Everyone is going to know about this band. Such an exciting band and it was such an exciting moment to have Justin on the show. So relaxed, so in-depth, so, so great of a guest. I'm so grateful for Justin coming on the show. I enjoyed this chat thoroughly. I hope you do too. That chat with Justin is coming up now. But everyone gets to start off question the same, and it's not a heavy band, but do you remember discovering a band as a kid that was shown to you and it became an obsession. And my example is for me at the age of about five, I don't know why, but Aerosmith became my thing for about a year. Was there a band for you right. like that? Um, I would say that uh, a lot of the uh, late 90s new metal thing was definitely what kind of turned me on to heavy music. Because at that time, MTV was real heavy in playing bands like that. So I was probably corn. I listened to Corn nonstop when I was in seventh grade. So much so that I like, 
I mean, I, I memorized all the songs and everything on it. And then from there, I got into other heavy stuff. But that was really the first one. Do you, do you remember why you got into corn? Do you think it was the fact it was just shown on TV a lot? Or was there something about the music or the anger or the energy that brought you in? Uh, it was definitely the anger and the energy. I was also, I mean, and a lot, like a lot of people and a lot of kids that kind of grew up in that era, I was also weird and I didn't have a ton of friends and I was definitely more inclined to, um, listen to things that my parents didn't approve of and they definitely didn't approve of that. So I liked it even more. <laughs> I think everyone listening can can resonate with that. It's the sense of rebellion and, you know, if, if they don't like it, I like it more. Um, right. Now, you, you know, MTV generation, you know, I was, um, I was probably about 17 or 18 when all that new metal kicked off. So where were you going with Discovery? Were you a bit of a sponge? Did you just go out of your way to discover music or were you still, for a while, pretty reliant on what you were seeing and hearing on TV? Uh, I, I actually was definitely more of a sponge because as soon as, as soon as I found corn, uh, is when I really started to dig into music in general. And, um, this was like the early days of the internet. So this was AOL days, like at my house, at least the only way you can get online is you had to go through AOL because we had a dial up. So, um, I would spend hours and that's essentially what it would take to look at websites hours, but I'd say spend hours researching bands and our, our computer wasn't even fast enough to download music. <laughs> so I, I remember trying to download music and it just wouldn't download because the dialogue was too slow, but I could go to websites that, um, wrote about, you know, bands and metal, metal bands in, in particular. And then I would just do that. And then I would go to chat rooms especially on AOL and uh, kind of just take in what everyone else was talking about and the bands that they were talking about and whatever was happening. And then, you know, slowly formed my opinion on that. I mean, granted at the time I was like 12, 13 years old. So it was a slow kind of, it was a slow progression, but um, that was, that was my first real foray into how much I loved heavy music and what I really wanted to really what I really wanted to get out of it I wanted to play it and I wanted to be a part of it and so I just kind of manifested that throughout the last you know 20 20 odd years it's crazy I mean I remember those days with the internet too you know if anyone picked up the phone while you were on the internet that would hang up your connection yes people listening that are younger it used to fucking happen <laughs> it was crazy yeah yeah it was I remember I remember uh I remember having to get off in order for my mom to make phone calls and stuff like that. <laughs> there being like time limits. Yeah. It, and I also remember it like timing out sometimes, mm -hmm. like weird things would happen and you'd just be, get kicked off for no reason. It's great. <laughs> old times. Yeah. And the classic, like you said, you know, you couldn't really download the music. And if you wanted to see a picture of the band, it probably took you 20 minutes for the picture to load. Yeah. That I mean, it was always worth it though. At that at that time, especially, uh, I felt very uh, fortunate that the internet even existed because mm -hmm. then you really have to take into consideration that before that even, all of this was more so something you heard on the radio or saw on MTV, and then that was it. There was no more. Like if you got a magazine or something, that was the furthest extent to what your knowledge of a band would be. 
um, outside of their records or, or MTV or the radio. There was no more besides mm. that, you know. And I was too young to be on mailing lists and stuff like that because a lot of people were that were older. But I was too young for any of that. So, um, and I really didn't go to a ton of shows. So it was very insular as to like your knowledge of the music and like what it was like it's not like it is now where you could be a super fan of a band that you've never met never seen you know what i mean like mm. you could have very you, you could own no you can own no records from a band and have it be your favorite band ever and know everything about them and that in 1998 would have been insane to me like i wouldn't even be able to comprehend what that meant I think it also, you know, being in that time that we're talking about is also probably why, you know, people like yourself and a lot of listeners might connect with is that because it was so hard and such a weird way of finding music, in a way you took ownership and obsession to a new level when you discovered something that you loved. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, for me, it really was about that sort of became my identity because mm-hmm. I had spent so much time looking up bands and no one else really did that, that, you know, the, the few close friends that I did have, we all would share bands all the time, all these like obscure bands and no one else ever knew what we were talking about. And to be honest, in retrospect, they had no real way to even find out. Like it, if it wasn't on MTV and it wasn't on the radio and you weren't into a particular thing, you weren't going to hear about it. Like it wasn't just going to show up on your social media feed like it does today, you know? Yeah, it's a unique time. You you mentioned in there earlier about, you know, you then around this time started really wanting to pursue being into music. Um, right. Why did you pick up a bass and was the bass the first starting point for you? Well, I originally wanted to play drums, but I wasn't really... I wasn't coordinated enough to play drums and uh, my parents didn't want to get me one. I get me a drum set. They thought it was too loud. Mm. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so by virtue and at this point, my parents were mostly kind of just fed up with whatever hooligan stuff I was doing. So I don't think they wanted to buy me anything at all, to be honest with you, <laughs> but I didn't have money. So at, for a while I wanted to be a, a vocalist and then, uh, I think in my uh, freshman year of high school, when I was 14, I uh, landed on bass because <laughs> it was the simplest of all of them, honestly, and I just wanted to play something. I really just wanted to be in a band, and it seemed like the easiest way to play music was to write music, and the easiest way to write music was to play either a guitar or a bass, and so that's kind of where that landed, and the rest is sort of history with the bass, at least. <laughs> So, I mean, when you, you know, not disrespecting yourself or any bass players, but they do say it's the lazy right. guitar, you know, it is, you know, the four string. Um, so you start, you know, you get yourself a bass and you start getting into bass and you know this is your path into being in a band and creating music and kind of taking your passion to another level. What are you doing for learning? Are you sitting there doing it yourself or are you taking lessons what do you like with that avenue with the bass well i was never i was never very studious when it came to music and i and even at a young age i kind of saw music as being rebellion (laughs) so i never really i never really 
took music serious on a, I need to learn how to properly do things. Um, in the very beginning, I would just like look up tab to new metal songs and then learn them. And then that would be the extent of that. Um, once things kind of progressed further and I got into high school and I, I really wanted to start joining bands as like an actual bass player that was serious, I would listen to different bands and then try to match their speed. And even if I didn't know what the notes were, I would just play things and try to match the speed with my, with my picking hand and then also try to match it with my fret hand and just go as fast as possible. I think one of the first bands that I did that with was Black Dolly or Murder. I would listen to Black Dolly and Murder songs off of Unhallowed and I would just try to go as fast as they do. I, I had no idea how to play really. I mean, I did know how to play, but I, I had no idea about, I mean, reading, you know, reading tab or like proper fret placements or anything like that. So I would just go, I would just play as fast as I possibly could. And ultimately I think that built into being able to actually play because after doing it so many times and practicing all these like rhythms and stuff like that, it just became something that worked, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly it does now when you, you hear the music that you're doing now, clearly what you did, right. the fundamentals while unorthodox definitely fucking work. I mean, and that's the thing, nothing, yeah. not everything yeah. has to be done the same way. Um, what about, you know, we mentioned a little bit about like corn and new metal was kind of the real discovery and birth for you, but stylistically with music was there a band that really shifted gears for you when you got a little bit older in your high school uh well i was really into so like the the music sponge thing never really stopped like i started really digging into every band i could possibly find in almost the pre-internet era or just the very beginning of the internet era for me and that never stopped. So as, as the internet progressed, I also progressed in finding stuff. And, and as it got easier, as um, music downloading sites got easier, I would download a lot more stuff. And so I got into metalcore at a, in the early 2000s at some point. Um, and uh, I think the very first band that really changed that kind of that shift in me was probably Poison the Well or it was Curl Up and Ooh. Die those two bands were like hugely influential in what I wanted to do as far as music goes, because he, and also you got to keep in mind, there was a time period, especially when it came to new metal, where like it waned in mm. 2002 and almost like disappeared. Really, I mean, it, it was, it was, didn't disappear, but it was clearly falling off and it was like in the death throes of its kind of relevancy. And so, I, most of the people I knew didn't really listen to it anymore. I mean, I always have, and I still do, but at that period of time in my like adolescence, uh, I was just looking for other stuff. And so that was what really kind of set off a lot. Oh, two banging bands too, Poison the World. That's probably an all-time fave of mine. Um, yeah. Now, what about, you know, you mentioned you didn't really go to shows because you were kind of, you know, in your own bubble, which is understandable. But did you have a local scene that you knew about around you before you started getting into your early bands? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, so I didn't go to show. I did go to shows. I, I don't mean that I straight up didn't go to any. But when I was very, when I was very young, my my uh, 
my mom usually wouldn't let me go to them. And when I was like 12, 13, she usually wouldn't let me go to them because if it was on a school night and I just couldn't get out and I didn't have a car or anything and sneaking out when you're 13 is hard to get to a, a venue that's like 10 miles away or, you know, downtown kind of thing. So uh, I did, I did start going to shows though when I turned 13, but I didn't go to a ton. I would, I just would go to, you know, the shows that were happening. And then uh, when I got into high school, when I first started getting into metalcore is when I definitely started going to shows all the time. And that's why I mentioned Curl Up and Die because I'm from Las Vegas and they're from Las Vegas. So that was one of, that was probably the first metalcore band I saw a show from. I saw a local show that they played and uh, just the chaos and the insanity of it was overwhelming and I had to get into it. And so after that, I, after I saw Curl Up and Die, and uh, and when I was like 16, I, I uh, well, maybe I was 15 even actually. Yeah, I was 15. When I was 15, I saw Curl Up and Die, and then after that, it was you know all history. I, I went to nearly every single show that I could after that. So I mean, that's that's an important thing also to have a local band like Curl Up and Die because Curl Up and Die were also a band that were getting out from the local area. So that also right. would have played an important thing for you to see a band that's local but is. I mean, I'm using air quotation marks here, but making it, you know, they're getting out of the neighborhood. So that would have been yeah. important. Well, and and in our eyes, they were totally making it. Like mm. on the in retrospect now, as I can see it in a bigger kind of a more adult light and kind of see how the industry works and all that shit, I can see that like what they were doing was, you know, what every hardworking touring band does. And it's just, grinding out you know tours and stuff they 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 were neither making it nor not making it they were just fucking getting it and going out there and trying to do their best um and so i i and i can relate to curl up and die way more now than i could when i was you know like 15 when i thought that they were like doing next level shit um but they yeah that's that's the kind of bands that we would look up to that we would be like wow one day hopefully we could be like them we also in Vegas also had this band called Hemlock, which I don't know if you remember them, but they were also a new metal band um, from from the earlier days of me listening to new metal. And they would also tour and do weird stuff, too. And they had this similar kind of thing as Curl Up and Die, where I was like, oh, this band's from Vegas and they're like touring. So they must be big, but they weren't big, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they just appeared to be so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely appeared that way. Now, was it during high school that you became straight edge or was it afterwards? Uh, it was during high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I became straight edge in, uh, I, when I was a freshman. So uh, when I was actually, no, a little bit before that, when I was 13 um, or sorry, 14, when I was 14, when I was a freshman, I became a uh, straight edge, uh, mostly just by going to shows. Honestly, that, that whole thing happened in a way that, um, at the time felt very natural, but uh, was definitely very influenced because I was young. I wanted to do stuff. I wanted to go to shows and do stuff, um, but I didn't really have a ton of friends in any kind of scene. But at the time, everyone was straight edge in our scene and our hardcore scene here. Um, so it seemed like the natural thing to do. I also wasn't like huge drinker or anything like that so it wasn't like i was trying to kick a habit or something because i was like i was pretty much a kid i had drank before and i had i had done stuff because 
I was just a delinquent for the most part, so I would do whatever. Um, but at the time, when everyone was doing the straight edge thing, I decided I would do it too. And ultimately, I just found that it had more more pros than cons when it came to getting stuff done. So I, I've just stuck with it ever since. Yeah, I think I think you know, round of applause, man, because I'm big backer of it myself and myself being one that it's I think it's very important um I also think it's important that you do it for yourself you don't do it for you don't need a reason sometimes um you know and like you said a lot of scenes at that time were full of it um it was understandable um so natural now what about early bands for you I mean Molotov was a band that you were in, but was that kind of like the right. first band that you were in that were, you know, doing some things on the live circuit? Were there bands before Molotov for you? I mean, I've been in so many different bands. <laughs> like I, that's, that's the most reputable one from my uh, early life for sure has been Molotov solution. Um, and I, I start, that's something that I started doing when I was in high school when I was a senior in high school, actually, and the first band where I fully realized that um, it's, you know, to play any instrument in a serious band is not easy and you have to work at it and you have to get better and try. So that was basically my my first uh, introduction into that. Um, and uh, I was the first bass player from Molotov Solution for about a year and a half. Yeah, it was a short stint, and you know, you you were were you part of the Path to Extension EP? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, okay. uh, we all went out to California and recorded that in two thousand five. So yeah. So I mean, why why such a short stint? Was it literally it wasn't the right thing anymore, and time to move on? Like, why only a short period with Molotov? Well, uh, I'm mean, I'm not I, I'm not sure exactly what the the full reasoning would be but there was definitely differences and i was super young and uh they wanted certain things out of the band that i'm not even entirely sure i could fully recall if i tried even but it it was it was somewhat mutual i was i wasn't necessarily happy about it i didn't i didn't want to not be in the band anymore but it, it worked out that way and i think you know based on how that band continued on afterwards i think it just kind of was meant to be and that's one of the things that was probably destined to happen sooner or later and and probably needed to yeah it's a weird thing you know i went went back to look at the they're one of those bands that when you go back and look at how many members they've had they've they've had more members than i've had you know cans of coke in my life (laughs) right Um, right yeah i don't think there's any there's any possibility that like there's an alternate universe and where i'm still in that band i don't (laughs) think that that really exists um so it worked out for the best i think now you know you go from that which you know it's kind of a learning curve and we all go through it and it's part of life you know you you you're ever uh going through an evolution in your life and along the way there's bands that come and go but before wrist meet meet razor i can't find anything on you and i'm like really good (laughs) at getting my homework and you know notes ready um so for me there's a blank of around 2006 2007 to 2017 that's 10 fucking years what the (laughs) fuck so there's obviously a few stories in there. So what happened over that right. lapse of time? Well, so at that time, 
I, uh, so after I wasn't in Molotov Solution anymore, I went to college. Uh, I graduated college um, and I uh, became a teacher for a couple of years. I, that's most of what I've done in that decade was school and then work and then teach. I played in, I played in some other bands. I played in a, I played in a band called Folsom, which I still play in, which is a Las Vegas hardcore band. Um, but the touring in that band and then in some of the other bands that I was in that were more local wasn't extensive enough to where I was quitting my job or anything like that. So I just went to, I just went to work a lot in school and, uh, I mean, it, 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 it served its purpose because at the time a lot of it was based around trying to have something to fall back on and whether that's the case or not i mean i don't necessarily feel like i have anything to fall back on right now you know considering the last year um but i'm glad that i had the life experience that all that kind of taught so i think something came out of it that's crazy you're a teacher what were you teaching uh english i have an english degree Hey, like, and how's that? Like, I mean, I love that. My mum was a teacher. She taught English and music. Um, And I think it takes a lot of credibility and something that people need to, you know, acknowledge. That's not an easy job, man. Like, being a teacher, um, you're there, you're playing a pivotal role in people's, you know, future. Um, So was it kind of, you know, you say you're a rebellious kid. Was it a bit of a weird feeling to suddenly go from being a rebellious kid to teaching rebellious kids? Uh, a little bit, but to be honest, I kind of hated the job. So <laughs> I tried to do the best that I could do. Um, but I didn't like it. I just kind of start, like, I kind of got trapped into it, to be honest with you. I, I went to college for it. And so I was in it and, uh, I was trying to do my best at it, but yeah, I don't know. I, I tried to I tried to give everyone the benefit of the doubt, though, even kids that I think were more rebellious. I, I tried to be reasonable with them. But I'm also you know what I mean? Like, I think that's one of those things that like, I mean, I'm also hard headed. So I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily become the cool teacher just because I, you know, grew up not listening to rules. You know what I mean? I, I would still I would still be frustrated when, you know, people wouldn't listen to me. So in this period, you know, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, had a little kind of hobby band in a way of saying without demeaning it on the side, but had you pretty much thought that music was kind of not really going to pan out for you per se? Uh, See, I I always focused on making music, so I never stopped. I wasn't, I think to a certain extent, I wasn't sure what it was going to be but I always wanted to do it. And so, especially when I started teaching, I realized I didn't want to do that. So I I think ultimately I was trying to will the music thing into existence. I still, I still do all the time, every day. Well, the, then you, you finally kind of come across this avenue that you're in now and you joined around 2007 and how did the initial link up, for wrist meat razor happened for you um so in 2017 i uh i was in a different i was in a different band that was trying to do stuff it wasn't the band i just mentioned it was a different one it was trying to tour and did tour a little bit but it just wasn't working out at all and uh that split up 
and Jonah, who plays guitar in Risk Me Razor, his band that he was doing the exact same thing and trying to tour with also split up. And he started this uh, kind of uh, bedroom screamo project that I thought was really cool. And I didn't really have any expectations for it. There wasn't, I didn't think it was necessarily going to be some big thing. And I, I just liked it. I just thought it was cool. So I, I messaged him about it. And uh, the rest is history, really. We decided to do it as a band, uh, recruited a drummer, didn't like him, kicked him out, got another drummer, uh, got uh, Tyler, who plays second guitar and that's where we're at right now with it it's crazy and you, you seem like a um a band that the whole period through you know there was the two eps i talked to god and uh-huh. but the sky is empty they were around 2017 i think one was the start of the year one was the end of the year and then right you come into 2019 which is misery never forgets you seem to be a band that you're not afraid to not be pigeonholed it feels like and this is what I like about what you guys do is you hear one song and then you think, okay, I'm going to get that on the next song. And then it seems like there's a bit of curveball there. So when I go to the third song, I don't really know what I'm getting. You guys aren't afraid yeah. to play around with your influences and your passions. Right, exactly. Exactly. And that's that's interesting that you say that because our third single does that exact thing. So that'll be fun for everyone to hear. Um, but yeah, no, we don't we don't like risk me razor as a band has never been based around one thing we weren't even one thing when we were first starting like we liked screamo bands you know but we also liked sky came falling and you know norma jean and stuff like that like we wanted it to have a similar vibe we didn't want it to just be a screamo band and so when we did misery never forgets it was another thing where we were like well we would rather it have you know, melodic metalcore kind of breaks and then fucking, you know, breakdowns and kind of chaotic y, you know, uh drop dead gorgeous parts and stuff like that. That I don't think anyone at the time really was saying that's super cool. You have to do that. We just wanted to, you know, we just wanted to do that. And so for this record, it's the same thing. And for the next record, it'll be the same thing. And for the record after that, I mean we just really we evolve and progress in ways that I think uh, make us uh, feel most comfortable. So it'll always change. What were the early years like for the band, you know, getting out and getting attention? Was it, was it a hard slog for you guys? Because the switch from being, you know, you were relatively independent on the two EPs. I know you had, you know, some labels or independent labels helping out. Yeah. when you got into Misery Never Forgets and you're still with them now, you switch to, in many ways, what would be deemed in the heavy metal hardcore realm, a major label with prosthetics. So early years, what's the grind like for you guys looking back? Was it literally just do any show you can, work as hard as you can and build a fan base or a, a listening base of some sort? So we we actually had an even more interesting start than that. I think, you know, that's, so what you just said is my advice to anyone in a band that wants to make it is to do that. Risk Me Razor didn't exactly do that. We we were kind of we were kind of internet popular from the very beginning and maybe not in very obvious ways but in kind of low key ways. Like there were certain Facebook groups that would post about us constantly. There were there were, you know, people on Twitter that would talk about us a lot and because of that 
you know, the only reason why our EPs got picked up by as many different labels as wanted to pick those up was based on internet hype. Like that was literally the entirety of why the band continued to grow is people were asking for us to do a lot of this stuff and we wanted to do it at that point. But in the very, very beginning, there was no, like there was no um, expectation that anything was going to be anything that we were going to be popular or that anyone was going to care. So um, the band didn't play a ton of shows before getting signed to prosthetic. We only played about nine to 10 shows and then we were signed. But a lot of that was based on contacts that I had made through playing music contacts that Jonah had made through playing music and the ability to take advantage of all those. And so we did take all the shots that we could. We did a, we did a, uh, one of our, our second tour or whatever, our second weekender that we did was with, um, was with sanction and Queensway. We just did three shows with them, but doing stuff like that is kind of what got everyone's attention to us. Cause then the next one we did was with Steve space cowboy before they got signed. And, uh, because of that, you know, people took notice, you know, when you can attach yourself to other names that are like rising, it just kind of makes it easier. It, it, it definitely would. And, you know, it seems that in a way you guys got, have, I want to, don't want to say had a break, but you, you know, you hit something that was obviously doing something right, but also you seem to still be doing things on your record. I mean, if you're able to just do a couple of shows on a tour, in many ways, it shows that you've got confidence in what you're doing and not in a cocky way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But also, like, and to be even more clear, that was only the beginning of the band because after that, once we got signed, we definitely took it a lot more serious as far as touring goes. And we toured, I mean, virtually nonstop from about October 2018 to the time the pandemic started, to be honest with you. We were touring every every other month at least um we did we did well over 150 shows you know trying to promote misery never forgets from you know from the first single to to the the last show we've played so it it was it's definitely been a grind since then and being in a band is a grind especially if you want to really make it um but the spark was something we kind of lucked out on i think well, I mean, what was the reception like for Misery Never Forgets? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, there was the internet reception to the EP. So were you noticing another spark behind that album? Yeah, we always we always get sparks. But I think it's it's partially also because people are are offended by our name and like to uh, <laughs> like to make us go viral for random reasons. We've gone we we I mean, we went viral again after last uh, Tango in Paris came out also uh, uh, because of our name. So every, the name has, has re re has helped us have resurgences every time there's a new album cycle. It, it happened when we first came out and it still is happening now. I'm not entirely sure why people keep forgetting, but I guess now they remember that we exist. I don't, I don't understand. Like it, it must be the younger generations because I remember hardcore metalcore bands, the early 2000s all had these kind of weird names that would make you think and remember it. And all I think is this name of the band. I remember, I'm not going to forget this name of the band. It doesn't make me think anything weird or controversial or anything. I just go, Oh, I remember that because it's, you know, very well done. It's three words put together as one word, you know, it's simple. Yeah. 
I agree. I and I'm also from that era because again, I, I grew up as a sponge trying to find new bands. And uh, typically, you know, when you're looking up new bands, you're not looking for bands with names that look boring. Like I don't want to listen to a band that has a one word name that's uh, sounds just kind of like everyday and mundane. And there were a lot of metalcore bands with one word names that sounded very mundane that ended up being cool bands. A lot of them actually ended up being really cool bands. Like, when you look at the band name Converge, you don't necessarily look at it and think, wow, that's an amazing, crazy band name. I have to check that out now. But like when you listen to them, it does that. Mm. But Risk Me Razor, in terms of like a lot of different bands that I remember from that era, has a name that really just strikes out to you. And Jonah named it. And when I saw that name, that was my very visceral reaction to it. It was, I was like, I need to hear that. And so that knowing that that was my reaction i can only imagine that was a lot of people's reactions so i think the name is is good for what it does even though people want us to change it well uh, no don't change it i I also like it because (laughs) you know you're not um one thing i've noticed also is i don't think people are paying enough attention to all of the music because i just keep reading these articles saying you're a band that are harking back to the 2000s of metalcore. And while I can see elements of that, I don't, I think that's kind of underselling it and underplaying it. Um, I agree. You're one of those bands that a lot of people are saying, um, bringing a resurgence back to metalcore. Um, It's got to be a bit of a weird feeling that a people don't really give all the music the credit deserves, but then also it's got to feel like quite a compliment to say that you are leading the resurgence in this sound coming back yeah i i uh i don't really i don't really put too much credence into people's genres of us we get genreified a lot and um whatever anyone wants to kind of take the music as however they want to internalize it and um and give it meaning within the confounds of their life i i think that's I think that's cool. I, I don't necessarily, you know, we, what we do isn't something that I expect other people to understand. So my interpretation of the band and then the other guys in my band's interpretation of the band is very much not going to be what every, what, you know, some of the people that listen to it uh, think, but at the end of the day, as long as they take something from it, I, I'm totally fine with that. And if, if they want us to be a scene band or if they want us to be a, a metalcore resurgence band or if they think, you know, we're doing something, then uh, more power to them, I guess. Yeah, look, the only way, another way of looking at it as well, I agree with what you're saying, is that, look, in any way that they're talking about you is a good thing, you know, whatever yeah, they're saying. Yeah, and also, like, it's also, like, I music is such a, is is such a uh subjective thing like Mm -hmm. if if you listen to the band and what you hear from it is uh, i mean august burns red or something like that's not what the band's ever meant to sound like but if that's what you hear then that's what you hear you Mm -hmm. know what i mean i can't tell you that that's not what it is you know so (laughs) well it was an interesting you know you mentioned earlier you know um you were heavily touring off the back of misery never forgets and then you know, the momentum is is gearing for the band and then suddenly, like, the whole world has been put on pause. Um, Obviously, for you guys, it means that you haven't stayed on pause because, you know, Replica of a Strange Love is coming out in June, June 11th. 
So right. how did you approach writing this album in such a difficult time? Like if, if I know things right, you guys all live in different areas. So how did the yeah. writing take place? And was it always in your head to do this album at this time? Or is that just because of the, the situation in the world that you thought, let's write an album? So we were a little bit more fortunate than a lot of bands because we had basically done, we had basically run to the end of the Misery Never Forgets uh, album cycle. We had already planned to write the record after our um, LDB show. And so we went out to Kentucky in uh, February and went out to rural Kentucky and stayed with uh, Isaac from Knocked Loose. And he produced the whole record. We wrote it with him over about a week. Um, and the original plan when we left there was that we were going to do another tour in April, but as soon as we got home, that, that was canceled. So we, um, then went and recorded it in June and yeah, the rest is, is, is history. We, uh, did, uh, music videos in December, started releasing the songs in March. So we've, we've kept as busy as possible, I think, considering that there's no touring. Yeah, clearly. And also, I mean, it's got to be a bit of an interesting thing for the band at the moment, releasing an album when normally when you release an album, you can tour off the back of it. You know, you can really get the groundswell moving. So has that not being able to tour for the album release changed and geared your promotion differently? Yeah, it's definitely had some effect on it. I, to be honest with you, I don't think that the promotion would have been any different because the promotion's kind of going exactly the way that um it was envisioned but i think the big difference is kind of uh how it would have been done live because mm. i think if uh if we were touring right now we would be playing some of these songs right now and i the idea would, would be that we would tour probably before and then after the record came out so this changed a lot of that it changed a lot of our outlook on how we were going to space everything out and how everything was going to um, be released and in what facet it would be released. It changed a lot, honestly, that this is a record cycle that we will never have to repeat, hopefully, because it, mm. it was very strange, difficult, hard to organize because it just was nothing like anything else that we've ever done. Well, I think also, you know, at a time now when a lot of people can consume music, it's probably also a smart thing to con to release it so people can consume it. And, you know, I noticed the reception that you guys had automatically off the single Last Tango in Paris was immense. It seemed to be popping up everywhere and anywhere. And that must show you that you're also making an album that is hitting the right notes at the right time. Yeah, definitely. Well, there was, you know, there's a there's a great deal of um, of timing into when things get released. Like, you don't want to release something too soon. You don't want to release something too too late, especially because the way that this whole thing has been playing out with the pandemic and the winding down of it, we were pretty sure that it was going to be. I mean, uh, my predictions were fall of. 2021 last year that's what my true predictions were that shows would get back going again so it was basically a blind guess when we started setting the release dates but it was done in a way in which we were hopefully going to be slightly before what we we're about to soon see is a tidal wave of music getting released at the same time 
and getting kind of drowning itself out, honestly, over inflating the whole thing. So that certain bands are going to put out stuff that could be really good, but um, people might not hear it. So we wanted to avoid that. And I think we have definitely lucked out based on what it looks like and based on what's been released so far, because I think this summer is going to be much more hectic when it comes to music coming out a lot every single week. Yeah, dude, I, I definitely agree with that. Like you, you hit a nail on the head there. It, you guys have perfectly timed it. You've got out there while the attention is available. They're not being taken by other music. I also think something you said in there is important that you guys clearly take time not only with the music but the promotion, obviously, as we were saying, but also imagery yeah. and how it's going to look to the viewers, everything from the artwork to the music videos. Um, and I think that sometimes it's forgotten by a lot of modern-day bands. But for you guys, it seems to be a focus, which is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree 100%. One of my uh, one of my biggest pet peeves with the state of heavy music is how how defocused it is on aesthetic for the most part, and how defocused it is on kind of taking chances and doing different stuff. I think there's a real big focus on you know writing good riffs, which is obviously key. But after about you know 15 years of you know kind of aesthetic-less riff writing, I, I felt like music it was time for something that was a little bit more um theatrical mm. to say the least <laughs> uh for a lack of a better term just something that something that speaks to more than just you know heavy music and heavy music to me especially when i was growing up was a lot about the aesthetic of it and was a lot about kind of the presentation and the promotion and stuff like that and i, I wanted really badly to bring that back in a way that was significant and uh made a mark and and stood out so that's that's definitely the goal on what we're doing i it, it's a hard to tell when is when the real time is going to be when people are just going to be like into that next very theatrical kind of band that becomes gigantic so i i i'm more than happy to keep taking chances and hope that you know we become that band yeah, I think so, man, and I think you've you're right there as well. We went through a period where, you know, music is important, obviously, but the imagery and the performance side of things was really lacking. Um, I think it's important that listeners know that you know imagery is important. Yes, you don't want too much of an image, but think of it like a meal. You eat with your eyes first, they always say. So you know, yeah. if you hear a great band and then you look at their picture and it's just like, well, that looks like every other band, then you're maybe not really yeah. going to give a shit. You know? Exactly. Exactly. Well, and also I think we're we're all visual artists too. Everyone in this band kind of is their own kind of artist as well. We all do our own things that on the art side of things. And so for us to create the band artistically on a aesthetic and on an aesthetic side and on an promotional side, I think uh, is important. And it was really important when it came to writing this record that it reflected that more so than we even had in the past. And I, I think you can, you can rest assured that it's going to continue to move in that direction as far as continuing to do more stuff that we think is going to push the envelope with the aesthetics and with the, with the image 
uh, because it's just kind of a, a package deal, honestly. And this record, more than any other record that we've ever done, or more than any other record that I've ever done in my life, uh, is going to push that envelope. Dude, bring it. Like, bring it on. Yeah. Um, I love it. <laughs> Um, now I want to ask, look, still want to ask a few more questions about this album. And one is, um, sure. you know, a lot of listeners get into the list, the lyrics of a band, you know, there are people that gravitate to the music side of things before they gravitate to the lyrics. Some people are opposite. So lyrically, what's the themes per se, or topics that you're touching on, on this album? Well, this record doesn't necessarily have one general central central theme uh, i uh i look at it very much like a a loose concept record because i think some of my favorite records of all time are records that um have a concept but aren't a concept record like mm-hmm. for example um downward spiral by nine inch nails is one of my favorite records of all time and it doesn't necessarily have a have a concept but it is in a lot of ways a concept album because it's about you know this kind of unraveling of madness and depression but it doesn't you know every song exists on its own it doesn't necessarily need to be listened to in order to understand what's happening on it but if you do listen to it in order you will have a better understanding of what's happening on it um and i think in a lot of ways replica is the same way it's a an album that has a lot of crypticisms on it. It's not necessarily straightforward as far as what the themes are or what it's supposed to be getting at. Um, the biggest takeaway from the whole thing uh, should be uh, the feel of the record and where it's going. But also on top of it, like there are sub there are kind of sub concepts going on within it. There's a lot of philosophy going on within it. There's a lot of um, different emotions that it touches on some of the older themes of wrist meat razor with you know songs about heartache and stuff like that but the record is much deeper than that this time and it doesn't only do that it does a lot of different things so the general theme is a hard one to touch on um i can say though that the album title replica of a strange love is something that i came up with before before the pandemic and before we even wrote the record and it's a a concept that I thought could work as a record. And then the more I wrote for this, the more it made perfect sense that this was definitely the record. It's basically the idea that uh, you create and idealize these, um, these uh, cloned figures in your, in your mind to represent different emotions and different, uh, different aspects of, your mental states and things that happen mm. you really it's really about creating you know creating replicas of of things that uh you can look back on and kind of idealize and you know human beings always try to find something in their past to romanticize and uh this is that same kind of concept except it's a little bit more uh on the dark side i would suppose like it's not it's not always about you know romanticizing good moments a lot of times it's about romanticizing bad moments and it's uh about you know pain and suffering and you know frustration hatred they're all different replicas of you know things that you might at one point in time feel like you 
you uh you know idealized so rebels mm. have a strange love essentially fuck yeah Ooh, nice spicy um <laughs> well you know with as you said covid's also slowly fading out tours are slowly coming back you're a band that you know i was looking back at some of the tours you've done you guys and you've mentioned a few you guys can pretty much sit on any bill um i think that's a unique thing for a lot of bands you know it people will say well it's genre crossing but you know i don't think really genres matter but with tours kicking off eventually are you guys already in the works to ramp things up are you looking to have a busy end of the year and a very busy 2022 yeah that's that's the hope right now i mean it's too it's not too early to say because it is i think a fair assessment now to say that um we are trying to have a busy end of this year and we're definitely trying to fill the entirety of next year with touring um, but it is too early to kind of have any guarantees because we don't know exactly what we're doing. I think that is definitely the plan. And regardless, 2022, we hope to be all over the place, all over the globe, hopefully. Um, but when exactly that will start is dependent on a bunch of different stuff. But yeah, I mean, we want to be torn for sure as soon as possible. Now, uh, a question which is a loaded question, but it's also a weird question. And it's about replica of a strange love. Um, you know, a question I sometimes ask, but it's a weird one, is, you know, this album's about to come out, comes out in, what, three weeks, maybe less, yeah. maybe more. Yeah, um, a June, little bit more, but yeah. Yeah, June 11th. What are you hoping and expecting that listeners can take away from an experience with listening to the album? And then a second part of the question is, do you hope they actually listen to the whole album? Because being in a band nowadays, I think it's difficult releasing an album because sometimes people just base you off a single. Right. Well, to answer the first, the second question first, um, if you don't listen to the full album, you definitely won't get every aspect of what this is. The record does not sound all the way straightforward or straight through the same way. Um, if you listen to the singles, you still don't know what the whole record sounds like. It doesn't, there are pieces of the singles that, 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 uh, that connect throughout the record, but there no single on this record sounds like the rest of the record. So there's, uh, there's really only one way to, to kind of figure out, you know, where we were going with this. And that would be to listen to every track as far as what people take away from it. Um, I, it's it's hard that's a hard question because i don't think that there is any one emotion to take away from it is it is it is many emotions that all kind of all kind of uh corresponding when i wrote it the the general theme was much much more bleak um but i think uh as a listener you, there's a lot of different vibes on it it's not a it's not a feel-good record but it is a very uh, a very dynamic record, probably uh, easily the most dynamic thing we've done. So, well, I'm excited, man. Like, I can't wait. June 11th, of, as I said, um, comes out, and hopefully, we also get you guys um, in Australia, maybe one day. Yeah, yeah, that'd be yeah. Cool. No, we would, we would, uh, we would love that. We've been getting uh, a lot of requests from there, so who knows? Maybe soon. Oof. Now, Justin, before we finish, um, I, have a sure. seg I have a segment called Pick Your Poison. Now, it okay. is a lot more fun than it sounds. Um, uh -huh. What we do is I give you 
basically you have to pick your favorite of the two. It's like a would you rather, but it's all food, okay. it's nice. all food based, music based, and movies kind of thing. Okay. Uh, you Perfect. don't you don't need to justify your answer, but if you want to, you are welcome to. Okay. I'm pretty long. I'm pretty long winded. I'm sure I will. So. Okay. Uh, pizza or burger? Uh, that's tough. I'll probably go pizza. Uh, I'm. Everyone in Risk Me Razor is vegan, including me. Um, but I, I, there's, there's some really good alternatives when it comes to pizza. So I'm going to go with that one. Okay. So all food options are vegan. So (laughs) Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Uh, You know, I'll probably, I'll probably go Indian takeaway. Actually. Mm. I I haven't, I, I haven't had that in a while, but Indian takeaway is, is probably the easiest to turn vegan because you can almost make anything Indian vegan. They do a lot of non-meat things. So, um, Soft taco or crunchy taco? Uh, soft taco for sure. Uh, guac or no guac? Uh, guac always. Okay. What about a taco or a nacho? Probably a taco, but again, it's, that's that's a definitely a vegan answer because nachos, even I think nachos, vegan nachos are good, but I I prefer tacos for sure. What about smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? <laughs> uh, it's yeah, I've always eaten smooth peanut butter, so I guess I'll go with that. Okay, and for anyone listening, if you like crunchy peanut butter, there's something wrong with you. It rips the bread. It's violent <laughs> peanut butter. Do not understand it. Um, yeah. Coffee or tea? Uh, coffee for sure. Okay. Um, if you're going to have a soft drink, um, Coke or Pepsi? Mm, I'll probably say Coke, but I usually don't do either, but I, I would, I guess I would say Coke. I've done both, but I usually don't do either. So, um, you're having your last meal. Do you want to have it at home or out at a restaurant? Uh, probably home. Okay. Less people. New movie comes out. Do you want to see it at the cinema or wait to watch it on the couch at home? No, cinema always. Okay. Spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Mm. I'll go, I'll go beach. I'll go beach only because of the weather. I like the snow too. I just, sometimes being cold kind of gets to me. I live in the, the American Southwest, so it's always warm here for the most part. Um, cat or dog? Uh, I'm going to go with both, actually. I have, <laughs> I like them both so much for different reasons. Um, PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, I'm going to go Xbox, but it's, it's not because I don't like PlayStation. I just have had more Xboxes than Playstations. Batman or Superman? Batman, easily. Okay. Wolverine or Deadpool? Uh, I'll go Wolverine just because that was more popular in the 90s than Deadpool was. Deadpool's more recent. Terminator or Predator? Predator, definitely. James Bond or Jason Bourne? Uh, James Bond again. So that's, again, 90s. Yeah. <laughs> totally. What about Rambo or Rocky? Uh, I guess Rambo. 
they're both they're both a thing I don't really like, but <laughs> I guess Rambo. Yeah, they're, they're both loose units. Is a polite way of saying it. <laughs> um, Freddie or Jason? Uh, Freddie, definitely. Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones? Lord of the Rings, definitely. Okay. Yeah. South Park or Simpsons? I'll go South Park, but I I probably watched Simpsons just as much as South Park, but I have more favorite South Park episodes. Um, Anchorman or Step Brothers? Mm, I'll go Anchorman, but that's another another old opinion, I think, because <laughs> most people will probably say Step Brothers. No, I I say Anchorman too. It's the OG. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Easily. Um. All right. Some music ones. Okay. This one should be a simple one for you. Corn or Limp Bizkit? Yeah, corn for sure. Okay. Slipknot or Machine Head? I'll I'll go with Slipknot on that one too, especially if it's if it's the first two Slipknot records. Slayer or Pantera? Oh, uh, Slayer. Definitely Slayer. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Uh Cannibal Corpse probably. Even though I even though I referenced Black Dahlia earlier. Cannibal Corpse definitely is a classic. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica, definitely on that one too. Uh, Rob Zombie or Marilyn Manson? I'll go with Marilyn Manson, even though you're not supposed to say that right now. Yeah, well, his music is better. Sorry. I I agree, it is better. Um, Suicide Silence or Whitechapel? Suicide Silence, definitely. Converge or Dillinger Escape Plan? Converge. I, I I like Dillinger too, though. I I think Dillinger has, I think Dillinger is a bit underrated, honestly. I think mm-hmm. when it comes to people recognizing kind of that era of chaotic metalcore, Dillinger, the first two Dillinger records don't come up enough because they're really good. But also, I'll still say Converge. Okay, last music one before we have a couple left. Um, Darkest yeah. Hour or God Forbid? Darkest Hour. Uh, that was one of my. That was another one of my very favorites that I would practice to. Now you're getting back out there. Shows are starting to kick off again. Would you rather see stage yeah. dives happening or mic grabs happening? Uh, I'm gonna go with stage dives, but it's because Risk Me Razor has not historically been much of a, a mic grab band. So stage dives are always fun, unless they. Unless they kick my mic away from me, and then they're not as fun anymore. <laughs> I mean, I play bass too, so like, if my mic gets kicked away, then we're just we're done for a little bit. There's no there's no vocals for a while. Um, you're gonna get out to a show. You're gonna go to a show yourself. Are you gonna watch from the pit or by the sound desk? I, you know, it's that's that's an interesting question because I have always been such a music fan that. I do get really close when I decide to go to like a concert concert, like not a hardcore show or anything like a big concert. I'm usually in the pit area. I don't mosh, but I try to get as close as possible. I I, I feel like it's probably only a matter of time before I'm too old to do that. So, but I still do that. So I try. Now, second, last one, technically you need one for the other one to exist, but let's imagine they exist in their own right, separate from each other. Would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? That's that's tough. Because in this very moment, I would probably say I'd rather tour for the rest of my life. But I feel like at some point in time in the next five to ten years, that opinion might change. But for right now, I'll say I'd rather tour for the rest of my life. 
always a new thing. Very interesting. Constantly on the move. And the last one, I'm going to give you your all-time favorite album. And the way I give it to you is the only way you can consume it. Would you like it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Uh... All-time favorite, and I can only consume it that way, would be vinyl, probably. Because vinyl definitely is the best way it sounds. The phone one is the worst one. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Nothing sounds good on a phone. No, so I think the convenience of it is without a doubt, being on your phone. Right. But the way it's compressed to the point that I think younger kids don't realize that it is compressed to the fucking max to fit on your phone. It sounds it sounds pretty awful on a phone, but also I like to I like to savor favorite albums because essentially if it's a favorite album, I've already listened to it enough that I don't need to listen to it every second. But I, when I do listen to it, I want it to count. So I would definitely vinyl for that. And also the fact that you know, you know, you're a band, for example, that is selling vinyl like it's going out of fashion. You get you get inlays. Right. You get things you can hold. The physical element is still awesome when it's an album you love or an album you really want. I think sometimes that's forgotten and missed. Yeah, totally. And we we put a lot of effort into the the presentation of the the vinyl, more so than anything else. You know, when I was younger, it was always the CDs that I had the the most um, the most love put into them as far as the presentation goes. But now it's it's turned to where it's vinyl again, and so. I think uh, if you like a record, you should buy it on vinyl, definitely. Um, well, yeah, you guys have done great with all these alternative artworks and stuff for it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's great to see. Um, Justin, yep. dude, thank you um, for giving me your time and your energy. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Um, I'm a big supporter of your band, um, so to have you on the show is great for me because I can – you know, tell our listener base about you if they don't already know. But also it's just kind of like a bucket list thing. I can say I've had Justin <laughs> wrist meet Razor on the show um, because when you guys blow up in a year and a half, two years, I can say, oh, you know, hey, people, see, back then, I already knew about that band. <laughs> hey, I, I appreciate that a lot. Thank you so much. Um, means a lot. And look, if you ever if you ever do get to Australia one day, um, you know, let's go have a, let's go have Indian takeaway. <laughs> Sounds perfect. Definitely will do. Um, but thank awesome. you. I really appreciate this, man. Definitely. Thank you for having me. It was fun. I liked it. Have a great rest of your day. Uh, take take care. care. Bye. Bye. The sun sets. Desire.
So that was my chat with Justin of Wrist Meat Razor. And at the end there, you heard the band's track, Last Tango in Paris. Second track was This Summer's Sorrow 2. And the third and final track was Anemic, The Same Six Words. All three of those tracks come off the band's upcoming album, The Replica of a Strange Love, which comes out June 11th. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the conversation or you enjoyed the music at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, deep dive and consume the fuck out of that discography. If you're into physicals, make sure you order yourself a CD or a vinyl. And lastly, if you're into merch, grab yourself a shirt, a hoodie or some shorts. I also have to take this moment to thank Justin again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 162, done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.